0: This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. One of the most important things that we do at the end of anything is to look back and reflect on what worked, what didn't, what we learned. You can do this literally at the end of a project, at the end of a trip, at the end of a relationship, and of course, at the end of a year This is something that I do every single December is really take time, not just in my journal, although I do journal it out, but also just kind of ruminating in my thoughts when I'm in the shower, when I'm in the car, I think about the year that has passed and which pieces of it I want to take forward with me into a new year and which pieces I Want to definitely leave in the past. I think about the lessons that I learned, both good and bad. I think about the memories that I made. I think about what's important to me now and who is important to me now. I think about my spaces where I'm spending the most time and if those spaces are bringing me joy or reflect. Who I am right now, if they feel good to me. All of this reflection is what I do at the end of anything, but especially at the end of a year. And really, one of the most important parts of that exercise is thinking about what I've learned. And I really love putting together this episode for you every year because it really forces me to face some of those lessons. You know, often lessons are not easy. It also kind of documents a whole journey, which I like. And so I'm always encouraging you to document these things in some way, whether that's in a journal or just a note on your phone or in conversation with others, because then we can carry one another's lessons with us. I know that it is already the first week of 2024, but if you are still in that reflective mode and you want to walk through some of these questions officially you can go back and listen to episode 198 which is 10 questions for the end of the year and then also you can check out my Instagram where I did some guided journal parties where we journal through together some of those end of the year questions. It's never too late really to stop down and notice what happened in the past and plan and dream for what you want in your future. But I have identified 10 things that are my most important takeaways from 2023, a year that honestly was not what I expected at all. <laughs> so much of 2023 was a surprise. And I don't say that with all positive emotion. 2023 was unexpectedly hard. I went into the year with a certain mindset, with certain ideas about how I wanted things to go. My word for 2023 was focus, because there were things that I really wanted to focus on. And it just became surprise after surprise after surprise. And I don't mean that there were big, like, bombshells dropped in the year. I'm not about to, like, share some big revelation or anything like that it's just you have an expectation for how something is going to go and and the year turned out differently than I was expecting or planning and I'm going to share a little bit of why or what happened I guess that made me feel this way that made me limp to the end of 2023 and welcome 2024 with open arms. Now, of course, this is a very public podcast, and a lot of things that happen in our lives are very private. They involve people who do not want their private matters spilled out onto the internet. And so, in some cases, there's really only so much I can say at all. I always use this show when I'm sharing to really focus it on myself and what I'm going through and what I'm learning. But of course, there's Lots of people in my life and family and extended family and friends. And while I really strive to not have my social media or this show be a complete highlight reel, like I really try to keep it real and authentic and share the ups and downs. Of course, I just can't share every single detail as I'm also sure is true with you. So know that as I'm talking through some of these lessons, I'm not trying to like be vague and mysterious I'm just trying to be respectful of all the players in the different parts of this that have come up. Okay, so number one, the first lesson that I learned this year, these aren't in any particular order, just the first lesson that I want to talk about, is you have to have rebuilding years to get to championship years. So I took some really big swings in my work life in 2023. I tried a lot of new things. I lost a lot of money, just candidly, I'm telling you that. But I did a lot of experimenting creatively, professionally, from a business standpoint. And I really hadn't done a lot of experimenting in my last 10 years plus, now at this point, almost 15 years Of working on the internet, I am very slow to change mediums, to try new things, to hire people, to outsource, to experiment. It's just not in my nature. But in 2023, there were just a lot of things that kind of converged into the perfect storm of it being a year of trying a lot of things. First of all, I brought this show back after a year hiatus. So I came back with kind of renewed spirit and some new ideas about the kind of episodes I wanted to create here. Not all of them worked, but it was definitely interesting to try a few things. I launched Journaling for Grown-ups, my first ever course class. I've never officially taught anything like that, even though I had been sort of dreaming about teaching a journaling class for years, I finally did it in 2023. That was one of my big successes, actually, and something that we're doing again here in 2024. I really loved teaching on something so specific, something that I'm really passionate about. So that was part of what I was rebuilding in 2023. Also, I threw my first ever in-person retreat in September, I hosted the Secret Summit, which was for my membership community, Secret Stuff. It was a weekend here in Los Angeles where we gathered for an in-person meeting after three years of being a strictly online community where we meet on Zoom twice a month. It has been amazing to watch Secret Stuff really solidify into you know, one of the best things that I think I've ever created, and also to really see the magic of relationships forming through a screen, which I really do believe in and am grateful for. But I also really wanted to have finally an in person meetup. I wanted us to take this magic that we'd created online and put it in person. That was a huge swing for me. You know, I don't have a co host, a business partner. I have to make a lot of these decisions alone, or I do make a lot of these decisions alone, and that is really scary. It was super scary for me to ask people to buy a ticket to an event, knowing that of the nearly 50 women that attended, all but four, I think, were not local. Only four people were local. So this meant people were buying plane tickets and booking hotel rooms, and I mean, that's... a big investment for people to spend a weekend with me in Los Angeles. So that was super scary for me and did feel like, I don't know, it kind of catapulted so much of the stuff that I've been doing into like the real world, you know, from going behind a screen to being in the real world with real dollars and a real itinerary and catering and rentals and the, you know, millions of decisions that go into throwing an event. That was just a really big deal for me. Of course, also in 2023, I launched a book. My second book, and this one, the best part of this one, was that I finally got to do a book tour. I finally got to go to different locations across the country and meet readers and read from the book and talk about writing and friendship and all of those things. But those events were not sponsored in any way by my publisher. So they were either hosted by friends or bookstores or by myself. And so that's a lot of planning and vulnerability and travel and cost. And so that was a learning piece for, again, what I am trying to build as a career that matters. All of this is still going with my number one lesson of you have to have rebuilding years to get to championship years. And you know, that's sort of a sports metaphor, like you know when a team has to start all over, start with younger players, knowing that in a few years, they will be championship level players, but it's not automatic and it's not overnight and you have to be strategic about it and you have to understand that there's going to be some losses along the way. And that's just exactly where I felt I was in 2023 from a business perspective. It was all rebuilding. It was all trying a lot of new things. Again, some that worked great and some that didn't. I wouldn't spend money in that way again, or I wouldn't take that risk again, or creatively that didn't seem to land with an audience. So we're scrapping that off the table. Every creative or entrepreneur that you know goes through some version of that every single year. Hopefully you're growing and trying new things. But 2023 for me was a a lot of new things. And so since the business piece of this particular career is not what I consider my strong point, this meant that I spent a lot of the year nervous or beating myself up or trying to analyze, you know, what was working and what wasn't. I've shared here that I worked with a business coach for the last couple of years. Retha Nicole, you can listen to our episode together back on episode 174, if you want to hear more about that. So that has been helpful. Of course, I have team members that are incredibly helpful. I couldn't have done any of this without Caroline and Colleen I have my business mastermind that has always been an incredible sounding board and just women I respect who are full of wisdom. But again, even when you surround yourself with the best people, a rebuilding year is a rebuilding year. It's hard to lose money. It's hard to say something isn't working. One of the things that didn't work this year was I hired out briefly social media promotion and creation, which is a good idea. You know, I can't wear all the hats and all the social media promotion and reels and DMs and (laughs) all of those things. That it takes a lot of time and it actually takes a lot of energy and creativity that I would rather be giving to episodes and writing and things like that. So I felt like maybe hiring out social media might be. A smart move and that was an experiment that failed for a few reasons one it ended up just being frankly out of my budget in a year where i was already losing money in other areas and then secondly like i just care so much about branding and creative control and it was really hard for me to hand over the reins there that is something i kind of want to revisit by the way i don't think that was a failed experiment forever (laughs) but in this year in this rebuilding year it definitely was so i wanted to start here Because this was one of the biggest lessons of my whole entire year was that you have to have rebuilding years to get to championship years. And it was definitely kind of the piece that dominated my 2023, was trying to figure out some of this work stuff, was taking these risks, assessing if they were worth it or not, trying not to get emotionally tangled up in that assessment and in that analysis that... I failed as a human or that I was stupid because I lost money on something. Ideally, some of this stuff are things that I would have learned a long time ago in maybe a different business setting or on a different career path. But here I am, 44 years old, learning some of this business 101 stuff. That too was humbling. But by the time we got to the end of the year and I could sort of see the whole thing, like the whole ball of wax, I could... Take a little bit of a bird's eye view of it. I'm proud of myself for trying new things. I objectively can understand what worked and what didn't about some of the money and income pieces, some of which were my own mistakes, for sure, some of which were tied to things out of my control, like the rocky road of the podcasting industry and ad sales and things like that that I, you know, only have just a modicum of (laughs) say about Honestly, it's just taken me the full year to kind of view the scope of this lesson. But it was for sure one of my most important lessons. You have to have rebuilding years to get to championship years. Okay, number two. Actually, number two and number three really go together. And they were probably my next biggest lessons. Number two is the universe will teach you what you need to learn. And I know that sounds very, like, sort of woo-woo and generic, so let me explain what I mean for me in 2023. As I was writing my second book, The Life Council, in 2022, and then as I was preparing to launch that book in early 2023, it never occurred to me that this would be a book that would really turn me inside out. Friendship is a topic that I have written about and spoken about for so long and I believe in the life council concept that is not just a book gimmick shtick for me. That is a way that I have lived my life in the last, I don't know, nearly decade. It is a very useful way for me to think about the many friendships and relationships in my life. I don't feel like there was very much in the book that was controversial at all. I was hopeful that it was practical and helpful for people. And I just, it just did not occur to me that writing about friendship would like jinx my friendships. (laughs) It didn't jinx it. That's not what I mean. But you know how when people are on a reality show about how great their marriage is, And then they get divorced like the next year or people like write a book on how to grow an amazing business. And then they go like bankrupt the next year. And as an outsider observer, you can kind of see like, oh, you know, they shouldn't have tempted fate by pretending to be an authority on that subject or thinking they were an authority on that subject. And then seeing the cobbler has no shoes and – the advice they were spouting wasn't being implemented or wasn't working in their own life. This is what it felt like happened to me after the launch of the Life Council. I felt like I jinxed myself. Now, I have never purported to be an expert on friendship. Whenever I did sort of like press or media for the book and You know, that is what they called me. That made me very uncomfortable. I'm not a therapist. I have not studied friendship extensively. This was always meant to just be a point of view, a conversation starter. That's what all of my books are. I'm not an expert in any topic, in any capacity. And yet there is something that the universe does, just bops you upside the head with the very thing that you think you feel solid and comfortable in. Those lessons will suddenly come hard and fast. And for me, it was some of my friendships, some of my relationships that showed me for sure this is still an ongoing pain point in my own life, as I had already written about in the book, and that friendships are ongoing relationships that need maintenance and nurturing and all the things that I wrote about with such confidence, I had to relearn and sometimes in painful ways. Now, again, this is nothing like crazy and dramatic here. You can get from the Life Council, if you've already read it, very clearly what some of my friendship weaknesses are, which is that I am not a great communicator. Too much incoming communication, texts, emails, Voxer messages, DMs, all the different ways that we can communicate now with our phones gives me a ton of anxiety and shuts me down. And that affects my friendships and my relationships. I wrote about that in the book. That became even more true in 2023. And this is the lesson of all the lessons that I'm gonna talk about. This is the lesson that was the most unexpected. I really was not mentally prepared for this part of the year, this part of launching a book, this part of very publicly talking about friendship while being in some private pain around friendships. (laughs) I don't know that I could have planned for it. And I also know, because I've thought about this a lot, I also know that it wasn't just about friendship, relationship, book launching. It was about sort of what this other lesson is. Number two that I'm sharing here, the lesson is the universe will teach you what you need to learn. And there were some deep-seated things wrapped up in this circumstance that I needed to learn about what I share about my life and don't, about going with my gut creatively, about gratitude and appreciation for the people in my life, not taking any of that for granted, about also standing up for myself and not letting other people take me for granted. This is a a lot to unpack. There's sort of obviously a lot here. But the lesson that the universe will teach you what you need to learn, I do feel like was sort of a part of a bigger picture for me and my life pattern and maybe learning this lesson this (laughs) flying too close to the sun on a certain topic kind of lesson was hard in the moment but that is it might be teaching me something even more important about my future and how I don't want to do things next time professionally creatively relationally I am choosing to believe that the lessons that I had to learn in this realm in 2023 served a bigger purpose for my life, that I won't make some of these same mistakes on an even grander scale going forward because I I really don't think I will. I think I learned a lot about sharing myself. And it is so ironic and goes back to the original lesson. It is so ironic that when I pu- published my first book, Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, I was worried about this exact thing. I was actually worried about so many of this exact thing because that book, Share Your Stuff, had some of the most tender life stories to me that I'd ever shared with anybody. Like some of the most important things I'd ever said were on those pages. And I was worried that there would be some relational blowback or somebody would use the you know, those stories against me or something. I had all these sort of unfounded worries. Well, I don't know that they were unfounded, but I had all these worries that that did not, knock on wood, come to fruition with share your stuff. And I felt like that was a whole different set of lessons to learn there of like what I deem to be tender and sensitive and pouring my heart out on the page is not, you know, how like how the reader necessarily experienced that book, which is fine, which is great. I feel like I learned that lesson then. And then when I wasn't ready for it with the Life Council, when that felt like a, a less tender book, that is when my key mantra about sharing your stuff and sharing yourself was really challenged. In a way, I just wasn't prepared for. It. So that's number two, the universe will teach you what you need to learn. And it dovetails really well with number three, which is friendships change and friendships are hard. They just are. It's the reason that I wrote the Life Council in the first place. It's the reason that I shared all the friendship stories in the first five months of the year that were tied to this topic of friendship and what is hard about it. And adult friendship is very tricky. And just because I like sort of wrote a book with some rules around adult friendship didn't make it any less tricky. It is still hard. I don't anticipate that adult friendship for any of us is going to get that much easier. There are certain aspects of it that we just are constantly having to navigate or maintain or evolve. And I was stuck (laughs) having to take so much of my own advice about friendship in 2023. You know, I had times this year where I didn't make it a to-do, which is one of my friendship philosophies in the book, and some friendships faded over that. I had times this year where I felt like a child because I was really left out of things. Like there were actually literally parties and events and gatherings in my friendship group that I was not invited to. And that hurt my feelings because of course it did. And I had to suck it up and take my own advice around that. I had some very deep loneliness in 2023 around friendship. I had a couple of really big misunderstandings and really hard conversations. And I had to show love in private ways by not ever saying anything for the benefit of the other person when, you know, it really would have maybe benefited me to stand up for myself or correct the record or something like that. And I had to choose not to out of love and integrity. A lot of these things I write about and have spoken about and then suddenly I was having to act them out and as we all know life is easier said than done it is so much easier to give advice on these topics than it is to have to really go through them and act out your core beliefs around loneliness and believing the best of others and saying yes to one another and making our relationships a priority these are all things I believe and these are all things that were challenged in big ways for me in 2023. And it's not a coincidence that it was all happening around the same time that I put out a book on friendship. Like I know that. A saving grace on this lesson, which we're on lesson number three, friendships change and are also hard. (laughs) A saving grace around that lesson was leaning really hard into my oldest friends this year who know me in a way that sometimes I don't even know myself. I needed them to reflect back to me who I am, and they did every time. And I needed that. I needed friends to trot out decades-old inside jokes to make me laugh until I cry. I needed to have conversations that reminded me of who I am, who I've always been, how far I've come. I got that this year from my oldest, oldest Friends, my childhood friends. And that meant everything to me in a season where I was learning, number three, that friendships change and they're also still hard. Number four, changing direction a little bit. Number four is drill down on your definition of a happy home. How's that for alliteration? Drill down on your definition of a happy home. Here's where I learned that in 2023. As you might know, because I've talked about it and she's been on the show, my niece, Alex, who is 24, has lived with us for two years now. Adding a person to your household changes the household. Of course it does. Also in the spring of 2023, our nephew, Max, who's 26, moved to the Los Angeles area for a job with his girlfriend. They did not live with us in our home, but they spent a lot of time here. And again, after... (laughs) basically more than two decades of not having any family nearby. I haven't had any family anywhere near LA for the entirety of my life here to suddenly have nieces and nephews around, you know, 20 somethings that are definitely adults, but also that, you know, I feel some responsibility for. It definitely changes the vibe of our home and our family rhythms. There has been a learning curve here, but it has been a really happy one. And I have learned that your definition of a happy home is going to change over time. I was definitely happy when I lived alone or when Jeff and I were early married and our home was very quiet. We didn't have any kids. We didn't have any pets. That was a beautiful season. I really loved it. I also thrive in quiet. I'm an introvert. I have a lot of anxiety. Quiet is great for me. I loved having babies. I loved the pitter-patter of their little feet. I loved the sound of their toys. That also in that season felt like a happy home. What my happy home definition feels like now is more chaotic than that younger version of myself would have appreciated (laughs) because I have two kids, a niece, two dogs, a husband who often works from home, people in and out of our house all the time in a way that can feel chaotic and disruptive sometimes, but can also feel like the buzz of community and love. And that's what this season feels like. And I had to learn this. The reason this is on the list is because I've definitely had times this year where I felt frustrated by the chaos of the house, or I didn't like the way parts of our home sort of functioned or looked or, you know, it, it was causing me a lot of angst and agita with my control issues and everything else going on. I felt like, everything would be better if the house was different or the people in the house were different. And, you know, that's just not true. Like I realized that it wasn't really about the couch cushions that my dog chewed up. That is admittedly very frustrating, but I wouldn't trade anything for those dogs that I love so much. So we're going to have to replace the couch cushion And it's a fair trade-off for me because my definition of a happy home is having them around. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. .com and use promo code TELL, TELL for 15% off and free shipping available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. We also tiptoed back into hosting a little bit more this year than we have in the past. I feel like I've talked here about how for many many years Jeff and I were the sort of hosts of our friend group. We had a home that was good for entertaining. We loved having people over We had stress-free ways of doing it. like It didn't stress us out like it did some of my friends. So we just had people over all the time for a large chunk of our married life together. Well, a few different factors, including the pandemic, happened in the last few years where that became a lot less true. So it was the pandemic. Then we moved houses, which sort of changed up our entertaining game for some logistical reasons. Then we got a dog that doesn't love strangers very much so then we didn't want to have people over very often we've just gone through you know I would say like a three plus year period where we weren't entertaining hardly at all which didn't feel like us like that was not my definition of a happy home it sort of just felt like circumstantial well this year we just tiptoed in not as much as I would have liked but we tiptoed into entertaining more often we busted out the pizza oven we had the kids friends over a little more often, like a few different things that made me realize, ah, this is my definition of a happy home. Therefore, in 2024, I want to make this more of a priority. It's something that's kind of gotten away from us. Something that we have gotten used to is not entertaining, something that we have used as a crutch for reasons that we don't entertain because of the dogs or the house or the schedule. And I kind of want to go back to what I define a happy home as, which is being full of people we love. So I'm still figuring out some of these pieces, but I made very few concrete goals for 2024. I'm still working through my like sort of philosophical goals for 2024 and also my more like actual concrete goals. And they are very specifically tied to this lesson that I took from 2023. Number four, drill down on your definition of a happy home. Number five, sort of related and a lesson I had learned already before, but you know, sometimes we just have to keep learning them over and over, which is prioritize experiences. So when I was doing my journaling about the best parts of 2023, almost all of them involved experiences. We took a last minute family trip trip to Hawaii, last winter, we took my parents to London for my dad's eightieth birthday to go to Wimbledon, which is on his bucket list. That will stand out as not just a trip of a year, but the trip of a lifetime. It was so incredible. I spent way too much money on Taylor Swift tickets to take my daughter to the eras tour and it ended up being, you know, one of the greatest nights of our lives. And as I've already mentioned, I did these book tour trips in the spring and early summer, and all of these things add up to it being worth the time, money, effort, inconvenience, and energy that we pay to create experiences. Now, I know as women, we are often responsible for these magical experiences for our families, for our friends, for ourselves. I know that we take on a lot of this particular mental load and logistical load of making these things happen. And sometimes I've gotten resentful over that. Sometimes this means that I have had a complete mommy meltdown on the beach. I don't know if you remember that story from a few years ago. Creating these experiences comes at a cost Even when it's a very privileged problem to have, even when it's a very luxurious champagne problem to have, it still is a problem that can affect the decision to whether or not we, you know, make it a priority. And even with the things about it that are difficult, I learn over and over again, and especially learned this in 2023, that to prioritize experiences is never a mistake. It is almost always worth it to make these things happen. They don't always have to be trips. I know I used travel as a lot of my examples here, but one of the experiences that we prioritize this year is going out to like very fancy family dinners to celebrate birthdays, especially with our 20-something family living here who really appreciate a fun, fancy LA restaurant, which makes it very fun for Jeff and I to sort of plan these fun nights out. We had wonderful birthday dinners this year at these fun LA restaurants that felt very celebratory and very special because they were great nights out. So it doesn't always have to be like a big vacation (laughs) to prioritize experiences, but it does really make a huge difference in your life, in fun, in joy, when sometimes those things can get lost. You know, I remember when my kids were a lot littler and I remember hearing parents talk about, you know, they had slightly older kids or teenage or above kids. And they were talking about this very thing, prioritizing experiences as a family or as gifts, you know, that they would give their kids an experience gift instead of, you know, a a toy or a gadget or whatever. And I remember like not totally getting it. Now, I was still squarely at the time into like toy land Princess dress, kind of presents for my kiddos. And also, I thought, well, yeah, I mean, experiences matter. Like, that just feels like obvious because who doesn't like to travel or do something fun or whatever? But now, with slightly older kids, again, my kids are 12 and 14, prioritizing experiences like this is way more important. And I really see in a different light, like, why those are the memories that matter or that stick. Why the experiences that we plan with our friends or with our loved ones, those are the things that are making up our life. And so if this feels like the most obvious lesson to learn, does this even count as a lesson? Well, for me, yes, it does. Because in a year that was hard in many ways, the standout moments, the things that I'm clinging to, the things that made me feel like life is beautiful, they were these experiences And this year, our family experiences were like a little bit ostentatious, to be honest. Like my dad's 80th trip was crazy. We're not going to do anything like that ever again. So it did also feel like a culmination of we had some really standout experiences in 2023. But contrasting it with everything else that was going on personally and professionally for me, it made me realize like, oh, I want to make sure that I don't lose sight of that, that I keep this a priority in the grind of a rebuilding season, in the grind of raising teenagers that are going 52 directions every day. Prioritizing experiences is always worth it. And it is my number five lesson from 2023. Number six. Okay, this one is a lot more logistical than the rest of them have been. (laughs) Number six is weekly emails can be the missing piece to calm the chaos. Now, I know I've already complained about all the incoming communication that we have in our digital world, and now I'm about to tell you to write a weekly email, but I will say it is one of the things that has been the most effective of my entire year, has been sending out two very specific weekly emails. So let me explain where this started. My husband's assistant sends an email to him and to his other team members Every single Friday, every single week, like looking at what the next week's schedule is, like actual schedule, like meetings and such, and then also like things that need to get done, things that are works in progress, et cetera. Now he CCs me on this email because of the scheduling piece. I need to know where Jeff's going to be at any given time, or I need to chime in and be like, oh, hey, our kid has a basketball game when Jeff has this meeting. Is that flexible, et cetera? You know, it's a this is scheduling life, boring scheduling things. We have gotten that assistant email every week, like without fail, for years and years and years. I think I look at it. Well, let me just say, I know I look at it more closely than Jeff does ever because, you know, keeping all the family balls in the air, making sure everyone's where they're supposed to be. Earlier this year, in February, when I was just drowning in book launch stuff and all the things that, you know, was going on with me, and Jeff had also just started making a new movie, we hired someone to help us with a lot of the kid driving after school. So this is sort of a whole other topic for another podcast, but one of the pain points in our family life has always been balancing the amazing benefits of being a work-from-home mom and the flexibility that that delivers with our kids' schedule not really allowing for it to be a full workday. Meaning if I have to stop every day at 2.15, 2.30 to go pick up the kids from school, deliver them to volleyball and piano and musical practice and whatnot, like that's just not enough of a workday. But I always chafed against changing it because I love picking up my kids from school and taking them to volleyball and to get a snack and to do a thing. And so I didn't really want to lose out on that time. But also sometimes I just actually was not getting enough work done. And I didn't want to come home and after dinner work till midnight every night to make up for these like afternoon hours that I was spending with the kids. I wanted to reshuffle how we were sort of scheduling our life so that if someone else was doing some of that afternoon driving, then we could have our family time be dinner and, you know, the few hours after dinner. And so we tried for about 6 months to kind of get us through this busy season, hiring someone to do this afternoon driving. Well, once we brought her on, which was enormously helpful by the way, it ended up being only temporary, but in the time that we had her helping, doing the driving and doing some of these other sort of family pieces that I needed picked up while I was head down in the middle of a launch. It was great, but she was new to our family. Of course she was. And also there for sure needed to be some communication about who was supposed to pick up who when and take them where and get them home by this time. And again, multiple kids going in multiple directions. So I started doing a weekly email, just like Jeff's work email that I sent out to all the people that it mattered. Even my daughter, who's 14, can get this email. Alex, who lives with us and works full-time, she can get this email. Jeff gets this email. All of the relevant players get the family email once a week that just goes day by day and explains where everybody is and who needs to get where and what nights we're doing family dinner, what nights we're gonna do takeout, what nights I have book club Zoom for secret stuff, so leftovers it is. I know it sounds stupid, and maybe everybody else has been doing this all along. Have you? Have I been the only one who didn't know about this? I mean, I don't think that every season of life or every family would require this. We were in sort of a specifically busy and outsourced moment. But still, it was so helpful to have this weekly email. It was helpful for me to make it, and it was helpful for everyone to receive it, to kind of know everything that was going on because I realized how much of it I just carry in my head. Now we were, even before the email, we did a loose version of like a Sunday family meeting where while we were eating dinner on Sundays, I usually just like told everyone verbally what was going on that week because I, of course, am the keeper of all the things in my calendar. And that was good. That was mostly fine, especially when the kids were a bit younger and they just listened. They didn't have anything to do with what the schedule was. Right. But now that everyone's a little bit older and there are all these missing pieces, having it an email form, which not only forces everyone else to carry the information, but also sort of forces me to schedule some things that weren't getting done perfectly because I could sort of see it in print every single week. This worked wonders. And of course, after I did this for a few months and I realized how helpful it was for our family and everyone peripherally associated with the family, to know what was going on, it eliminated so many communication issues, so many frustrations, so many last minute like decisions about how the day was going to go. When I saw how well that went, I started doing it for my work as well. Now, if you've heard me talk on my Favorite Things episode, or if you got my Not a Gift Guide gift guide where I shared this, one of my big discoveries from 2023 was Basecamp. This is a team management app that I started using with my team that keeps all of our projects very organized. The podcast, the Patreon, the book launch, Journaling for Grownups, the Secret Summit gathering, all the millions of things that we're juggling. This is like a project management tool. And that had been crazy helpful. That had been one of the big things that we started implementing like mid-year as a team, moving just from keeping everything on Google Calendar and Google Drive like we really just needed something that was a little bit easier to look at at a glance and see all the different things we had going and everything that needed to be done. So we'd moved to Basecamp and that had already been helpful, but I also started doing this weekly email with the team that had our week schedule and our week to-dos. Now, this was not the same thing as with the family email where for the most part, before I started writing the family email, I was the one who was keeping all this information myself. I was juggling it all myself. And this was suddenly now finally putting it in communication form. That's not quite the exact same thing with my team emails because most of the time what I was writing in my work team emails was available in Basecamp if you could look at all the different things, the calendar, the to-do list, the you know, all of that information was mostly already there. But there is something that felt very good about making it all very linear and in one place and team-like to just be like, okay, on Monday, here's what's going on. Here's everything we're working on. Here's what's due. Here's what I'm recording. Here's what's in progress. On Tuesday, same, through the workday. And then just, you know, obviously some, some ongoing things that I would include in like a notes section every week. Even though, again, most of this information was living in our management system, our project management system, it was so helpful, like sort of mentally, I think, for me and for my team members, Caroline and Colleen, to see it that way every single week. And so this is the most basic thing. Probably for work, a lot more of you are doing something like this already, but I wasn't. And it's just the simplest thing. It is number six, weekly emails can be the missing piece to calm the chaos. Number seven, the older I get, the more I rely on repetition. So this is not on purpose. I'm just now, as I'm talking through this, realizing that this is actually sort of tied to the weekly emails in some ways, but not really. Just the fact that repetition, maintenance, patterns for life have gotten a lot more important to me. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across two dots and I wanna tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. Now, when I wrote this as a lesson from 2023, I was really thinking about some almost like health stuff, health slash maybe sort of spiritual stuff. And here's what made me think of it. When I was young, I would do things once in a blue moon and it would carry me through, you know. So I would do my full crazy skincare routine for like, I do it like once a month or something. And I feel like it would be still be pretty good. I would occasionally do things like exercise or acupuncture or, you know, anything that I would just occasionally do. And it would carry me through. I would spend one weekend, this is when I was very young, you know, I would like sleep almost the whole weekend because I had no other 20-something responsibilities. And I would feel rested for weeks because I slept for one weekend. There were so many things for so long where you would do them occasionally and the benefits would last or they, you would feel like they would last. And only when you get older, do you start to realize like, oh, no, like I have to get adequate sleep every night. Like I can't just do it for like a week or a weekend and feel like, okay, I did that. I'm, I'm done with rest now for a bit. No, you have to do it very regularly. It's kind of like when you clean the whole entire house. The house is spotless. You've really done it. It's amazing. And you just want it to be like that forever. Well, of course, it's not going to be that way forever. Even if you don't have someone else that lives in your house making a mess, dust still accumulates. Like you still have to do some maintenance to, you know, keep the space clean. This is such a drag. This is such a bummer. But I big time realized in 2023 that you can't just like take a bunch of vitamins one day and call it good. (laughs) You just can't. There are things that require repetition for you to get the most, not only benefit, but for you to feel good, for relationships or projects or whatever to grow, like all the different things. So much of the success relies on the repetition. So I learned this lesson in that I did, didn't work for me. Like, I wasn't doing repetition, and I couldn't figure out why I was feeling wonky. Well, it was because I hadn't prioritized anything like sleep or vitamins or movement or whatever. And when you look at the list of all the things that you want to do regularly, if not daily, all of the things, it just feels exhaustive. Like, I have to go to bed early, and I have to Eat well, and I have to exercise, and I have to do my reading, and I have to like maintain all my relationships, and I have to do my skincare, and I have to drink enough water, and I have to get to inbox zero, and 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 like you, I can't do all of those things every single day. Like, I, I literally cannot, even though some of those feel like just like basic living. But I am in the process of learning that some of that repetition is absolutely key and can't really be skimped on. I mean of course everyone's going to skip a day of whatever all the time, but in general you can't just do something once and then wait two weeks. And y'all, that is how I lived a lot of my life. There are many things that I'm still that way about. Like I will shave my legs whenever. And I mean, that's a bad example because that's not one that I particularly want to change, but there's so many things in my life where I'm like, "Oh, I'll do this for a little bit and then I'll I won't anymore." Or I'll do this and hopefully this will hold me for a week or so. And it's just, it, it's false. It doesn't work. Number seven is the older I get, the more I rely on repetition. Number eight, this might be my favorite. Number eight is make the birthday you want to have and bring a birthday journal. So the first part of this one, make the birthday you want to have, that is something I've preached for a long time. Celebrating yourself, not expecting someone else to give you the birthday or celebration for for whatever it is you're celebrating, not expecting that to come from anyone else. I see so often people are lamenting that their partner, their friends did not throw them the birthday party or the baby shower or the, I don't know, whatever it is that they wanted. Now, culturally, there are a few things that probably you aren't going to be in charge of, like baby shower is a good example. But for things that you really have an expectation around or hopes and dreams around, like your milestone birthday or even just your regular old birthday, you need to make sure whatever happens that day is what's going to make you happy. So if that means that you're the one who books a little getaway or you're the one that makes a dinner reservation and invites your friends to come to your birthday dinner, if that's how you want to spend your birthday... You are in charge and you need to make it happen. And there's nothing embarrassing about that. There's nothing cringy about that. You are taking your celebrations, your moments, your experiences into your own hands. And that's the only way to do it if you're going to be disappointed by anything else. So I've been doing this for years, by the way. I've almost always taken my birthday into my own hands. (laughs) And there's a lot of reasons behind that, stemming back to actual literal childhood but I spend that day the way I want to spend that day whenever possible within the year. This year, my kids were away at summer camp for my birthday. And I had gotten invited to come do a appearance at Fabled Bookshop in Waco, Texas for the Life Council. So this was still kind of part of my book tour. And the date they wanted to come was like a day or two after my birthday, I think. The same week, at least. And my kids were away. I wanted to, like, get a massage on my birthday. Like, I was really not in the best place in June, which is when my birthday is. And so I was wanting to pamper myself a little bit, lick my wounds a little bit. Like, I just wanted my own little getaway. So I booked a spa not far from where I was doing that appearance at Waco. One of my best friends and oldest friends in the world, Kara, who I alluded to earlier, she flew down to meet me there. And we just had the two of us a little spa getaway for my birthday. That is exactly what I wanted. So that is the first piece that I've talked about for a long time is make the birthday you want to have. The second part of this is what makes it one of my favorite lessons that I learned in 2023. So like I just said, I was not in world's best place in June. I was... I mean, not having an identity crisis, That's way too strong of a phrase. Way too strong of a phrase. But I was struggling. And I couldn't actually a hundred percent figure out why I was struggling or what I was struggling with. Like it wasn't completely clear of how I was going to feel differently than the way that I was feeling mid-year. And I bought a birthday journal, which was literally a notebook from a bookstore, like a cheapy spiral bound. Notebook that I found at a bookstore. And I bought this journal that I was going to take on this birthday trip with me for the express purpose of knowing that I needed to process through a lot of what was going on with me because I just could not get a a grasp on it. I knew I needed to write and journal and write and journal a bunch of stuff. And I knew that I could throw it away when I was done. Like I bought the journal just for my birthday week, that I could scribble down all the things I needed to get down on. Paper so that then I could throw it away. Like it was expressly meant as a processing tool, not a beautiful journal that I'm going to lovingly write my family memories in. No, this was purposefully meant to be some of my ugliest, most insecure thoughts. And also, I wasn't going to keep it. The value was in the processing, not in the documenting. So I took this birthday journal to that weekend away with my friend. And I kept it actually for a whole week because I brought it home with me too, because I was still working through some things. So the entire week of my birthday, I was writing my innermost thoughts, knowing I was going to throw them away, which gives you so much freedom because you're not caring about how your handwriting looks. You're not caring if the sentences are complete or grammatically correct. You're not caring that someone else is going to read it because you are going to burn it or throw it away when you are done processing through whatever you need to process through. I loved this so much. Now, parts of this I've talked about before in Journaling for grown-ups or whenever I talk about journaling, the part about journaling to throw it away. So that part wasn't completely new to me, although I hadn't done it in years because I think that that's often a way to journal when you're going through something. And I had not employed that tactic for journaling in a really long time, like journaling knowing I was gonna throw it away. But now I feel like I might do it every single birthday week, whether I'm going through something or not. I mean, first of all, we're always kind of going through something, but also because around your birthday, when you're feeling nostalgic, you're feeling a lot of feelings, or at least I always am, it's just a good time to sort of assess where you are, Work through some things and knowing that I could write whatever I wanted, even if it was ugly, even if it made me look bad, even if it was my sort of darkest thoughts that I don't, you know, even like facing, knowing that I was going to throw it away, let me sort of purge it. Let me get it out. Let me sort of see it on the page and realize, like, oh, that's a thought that's been rambling around in my head, but I don't think that's actually true. I think that comes from insecurity or unworthiness. And when I see it on a printed page, when I take it out of my own head, I can see that it is rubbish. And it's okay that it's rubbish because I'm going to burn this. It was a turning point for me actually to have that birthday journal and to do that birthday trip away in a season when I was struggling and with all the permission in the world to feel my feelings and taking steps to work through them and, and whatever I was going through. I highly highly recommend it. I don't know what will be happening this June when I have my birthday or not. I don't know if I'll be able to get away. Most years I can't, of course. But the birthday journal piece of it, I'm really going to carry with me. And I encourage you if you if you aren't able to do this around your birthday for whatever reason, if the next time you're on a short little trip where you're going to be spending some time alone or you're going to have some privacy to work through something like this, it can be A journal for that doesn't have to necessarily be tied to your birthday, of course. It can be tied to whatever you're going through or whatever your circumstances are. So that's number eight. Make the birthday you want to have and bring a birthday journal. Number nine, advocating is more important than being unproblematic. Whew. This one was rough. (laughs) This one was rough. And I'm gonna say it again and tell you my word choice, how important my word choice is here advocating is more important than being unproblematic. So I originally, when I wrote this, that last word was likable. Advocating is more important than being likable, because that's a prettier sentence. That's easier to say on microphone than the word unproblematic. But really, the word unproblematic is a better fit here, because I'm going to tell you how I learned this lesson. Both my kids play sports. There's so much to learn from your kids playing sports and a lot of it can be really hard. I'm all for sports. I love being a sports mom. Both my kids play team sports, which I think is its own set of lessons. This year, one of my kids on a sports team was put in a really terrible position and it felt unfair. It felt confusing. It felt enormously frustrating because she did not deserve some of the treatment that she was getting. And we couldn't see a way out of the situation. And Jeff and I had agreed years ago, when both of our kids entered into sports, that we were not going to be crazy sports parents. Now, we are crazy sports parents, like on the sidelines, and like our cheering and in all that that kind of craziness. But we were not going to be like the equivalent of dance moms, but in sports, like where you're constantly bugging the coach and asking for favors or playtime or extra whatever. You know, I don't know. Like we had witnessed, as I'm sure a lot of you have, we had witnessed the problematic parents. And they are such an energy drain on the whole team, on the other parents, on the coach. It's just exhausting. And Jeff and I had agreed that we didn't want to be problematic Parents. We were going to trust the coaches. We were going to trust the league and the team. And we were going to be supportive of the decisions of the authorities in charge. We were going to be team players. We were not going to be problematic sports parents. And we weren't. We were the most compliant sports parents you have ever seen in the face of our awesome kiddo getting screwed over. I don't know how else to say it. I wish I could say it nicer. I'm just saying it the way that it feels in my heart. And if I could go back, I would not have played it that way. If I could go back, I would have screamed to the rafters, to the coaches, to the other parents, to anyone. I mean, I wouldn't have screamed, like literally, but I would have advocated for my kid. And I didn't because I thought that... And there might have been some truth to this, but I thought that the parents that were causing a lot of stink about different issues, you know, I, I was worried that the coach would take that out on my kid. Like if your parents are a pain, you know, the kid pays the price. Maybe that would have happened. That there might be some truth to that. But what I saw, what I witnessed with my own eyes was some of the parents that did cause stink, that did meet with the coaches privately, that did pitch fits. You know what happened? What happened? They got what they wanted. Now, I never want to be a problematic sports parent. I really don't. And if you're a coach or a coach's spouse or part of a team also where you can see a lot of these dynamics at play, you might be screaming like, no, please don't be a problematic sports parent. And I wouldn't be. But I wouldn't be silent next time. I won't be silent again for a full season of watching my kid go through a very difficult circumstance. I could just kick myself that I didn't advocate for my kiddo who deserved it. And I thought I was teaching her a lesson of trusting your leaders, trusting your teammates, trusting yourself. I thought I was teaching her a lesson of the hard worker wins in the end or whatever. I thought, I really thought it would go one way. And what I ended up teaching her inadvertently was that she was on her own, kid, that I wasn't going to step in and help her, that I didn't think what was happening was enormously unfair. And while I don't think that that is necessarily the lesson that will stick with her from the season, was my involvement or not, I think she has her own wounds from that season, it's certainly what I will remember. And I don't want it to happen again. There has to be a happy medium. There has to be a balance between stepping in and advocating for your kid and being silent. Now, I just gave you a sports story and why this was my lesson of 2023, but the actual lesson here that advocating is more important than being unproblematic can apply, as you can imagine, in a million situations. It can apply to speaking up when you are defending anyone or anything or any cause or any belief. Some days, I think the last thing we need is more people screaming. But a lot of days, I think what we need is the people who are screaming and being problematic and being this squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Like so many of us are afraid to be that person that we don't say anything at all in a lot of different situations in our life where we really should be speaking up on behalf of others, on behalf of causes, on behalf of ourselves. I learned this lesson in a sports setting and I'm desperately trying to sort of reroute that picture for my kid and for our family. But I can see this in other places in my life when I've made similar decisions to stay silent because I didn't want to be perceived as annoying or squeaky. And that was the wrong decision. I learned it. Number nine, advocating is more important than being unproblematic. Number 10, we're going to end on a very fun, lighter lesson than some of the rest of these have been, but really actually like a solid truth. Number 10 is the book tour dress was brilliant. So I made a decision early on when I found a dress that absolutely matched my book cover. Like it was striped just like my book cover for the Life Council in the exact same colors. And even better than that, it was like feathery and crazy. It was like the best dress I'd ever seen. It was also really expensive. I bought it before the book came out, a couple months before the book came out for like I thought it would be a good book release party kind of dress. But because it was so expensive and because it was so perfect, I made an impulsive decision that I was going to wear it to all of my Life Council events. So this was like, how many book tour events did I do? Five, maybe more. And readings and everything, photo shoots. I wore this dress, this Life Council dress. I wore it to everything. And every part of that decision was perfect. (laughs) I mean, the dress was perfect to start out with, but also I feel like I got my money's worth. I feel like it became associated. It also almost ended up being like almost a marketing thing. Like it became associated with the book and the book tour. Like people that I were was meeting out at bookstores and events and stuff, they would be like, oh, you're in the dress. Like they wanted to take a picture. And it kind of really became associated with launching the Life Council. It also, and this is not a small thing, took a hundred decisions off my plate. Because I had all these different events, some of them like quite big and important when I would have wanted to have a whole special look. I would have had to shop for a special outfit. I would have had to accessorize. I would have had to figure out my hair and makeup, all this. All of that was taken care of. I wore the same dress every single time. And it was a bold dress. It's not like I like picked a little black dress as one does. It was a bold choice that could have maybe been misperceived or been like, well, this is annoying. Why is she always wearing the exact same thing? (laughs) But became like really fun and part of the event itself. Now I did change up my shoes, my jewelry. Sometimes I wore my hair a little differently, but I didn't have to. Like I sort of just did that as the mood struck. I could have worn the exact same thing down to accessories and lipstick color, and it still would have landed the same point of like, this is my Book tour dress, and this is so fun. And it made me think of like how you could use this in any number of situations where you just cannot possibly think of finding a new outfit every single time. If you have a job where you're like a speaker or you have to be in front of people and you don't want to have to get a new outfit every time, if you were like known for a certain outfit or accessory or like one thing that really you could work around that makes that decision for you already. It is truly one of the best parts of my year. It was fun. It was memorable. It was one decision that made 50 other decisions. And it was like contrary to what kind of the popular belief is, right? Like we sort of all operate under this kind of weird assumption that especially for special events, you cannot repeat wear a dress. And you're like, you just cannot. But what if you did? <laughs> what if you did? It didn't end up being like embarrassing. It ended up being really celebratory. And I loved it. It was one of the most joyful parts of the year, especially in that season that I'm describing that was complicated for me in many ways. I was happy every single time I put on that dress. It also was a comfortable dress, so I didn't feel like constricted or uncomfortable. Like every piece of that decision was good. And that's why it makes for my number 10 lesson from 2023. The book tour dress was brilliant. It just made me unreasonably happy. And so that is where we are ending on the 10 lessons of 2023. 23. I will share all of these in list form on social media and in the show notes, just so that you can look back and have a refresher. Some of them make the most sense if you've heard me explain them. But if you've listened, you'll you'll be able to remember what I was talking about on each point. I would love to hear from you on the lessons that you took away from 2023 that you are bringing into 2024. If you share Your own online, please make sure and tag the show at 10 Things to Tell You. I'll also put a post up there if you just want to share in a comment. Like I said in the beginning, it's one of the most important things that we can do at the end of anything is assess what we've learned. And now here we are at the beginning of something, the beginning of 2024. And hopefully we can see a little more clearly what we are leaving behind and what we are carrying forward with us. I wish for you a 2024 full of wisdom and peace full of joy and sharing. Those are my 10 things to tell you. I hope it helped you realize the 10 things that you have to tell. You've just listened to an episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast for show notes and links. Go to 10 things Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 things to tell you. And you can also join our free connection group on Facebook to discuss episodes and topics. For bonus content, ad-free episodes, and monthly Zoom gatherings with me, join my Secret Stuff Patreon community by going to 10thingstotellyou.com slash stuff. Thanks for listening.